0: am not mad. am not mad. am not mad.
1: Welcome to Gatekeeper. A podcast about booking from the bookers and gatekeepers who decide who's in, who's out. Also, there's other stuff. And now your host of Gatekeeper, artistic director of the Hollywood Improv, Jamie Flam. Hey everyone, welcome to Gatekeeper. My name is Jamie Flam In just a few minutes You will get to experience what I got to experience, which was a phenomenal conversation with a great human being by the name of Rob Bell. Rob Bell is a New York Times bestselling author. He's a well-renowned speaker and a former pastor who's worked with the likes of Oprah Winfrey and Deepak Chopra and the list goes on. He also does a regular show at Largo, the awesome venue here in L.A., and regularly tours with comedian Pete Holmes. He's a guy that's doing a lot of amazing things. He's a guy that's constantly busy, and he's very inspirational. We talked a lot about the struggles and challenges of being an artist, something we've talked a lot about on this podcast at this point, but he offers some really great perspective, especially to those people in this world that we all know. Um, In some cases, it might be ourselves that are bitter and jaded and dealing with Uh, years and years of hard work into a craft whether it's comedy or anything else and not getting the results that they want or maybe the results that they're seeing some of their peers are getting with the work that they're putting in so i think you're really going to enjoy this conversation i know i was extremely inspired and i totally get if words like pastor and oprah might make you want to skip this episode because it's not your bag right i know i got a ton out of it and i'm sure you will too and I'm a Jew. <laughs> yep, a Jewish man with a bar mitzvah. Talking with a Christian? Wow, how progressive of me. I'm so cool. So, with no further... Oh, hold up. It's AdBot. What's going on, AdBot? Hey, Jamie, how you doing? I'm assuming you're here because I have a sponsor for this week's show? No. Oh, there's no no ad, no sponsor? Why are you here, AdBot? They usually only come when there's someone that wants to pay me money to talk about their product or services. I
0: just thought I would come hang
1: out. Is that okay? I I, I guess so. I I just don't know what we're going to talk about because, you know... I
0: can leave if it's awkward.
1: No, I guess stick around. Okay. All right. Come here. Sit in my lap, buddy. Oh, whoa. You are heavier than I expected for such a little butt. Uh, And before we get into the episode, I wanted to ask you, our listener, is there anyone you'd love to hear on this podcast? To this point, I've interviewed so many great people in the world of comedy, but since I started this podcast, I've wanted to open the doors to having great conversations with decision makers and people that say yes and no in all sorts of industries and disciplines. So if there are any artists or decision makers or anyone that you really admire that you think would have a great conversation about a lot of the themes we talk about on this podcast, including productivity and becoming the best version of yourself and, getting people to say yes and learning how to say yes and no, send me an email, jamie at jamieflam.com or just tweet at me. The show's Twitter is at gatekeeper pod. And my personal Twitter account is at jamieflam. That's what you say, right? My personal Twitter account. (laughs) I'm savvy. So with no further ado, uh, enjoy this really inspiring conversation any last words from you, Adbot, who's sitting patiently on my lap? Why
0: didn't you say that last part kind of weird like an English person?
1: Oh, you mean like this? I don't know. I suppose it's, uh, it's a nervous reaction of some sort. I'm trying to compensate for something, so I put on this voice. Uh. <laughs> I think you should stop doing that. All right, good call. Enjoy the episode. <sighs> Hello, and welcome to Gatekeeper. My name is Jamie Flam. I am joined by Rob Bell. Hi, Rob. How are you?
2: It's great to be here.
1: Rob, what do you do? <laughs> well, I mean, you've done everything, and I, I don't even know what to, to say is your, your job at this point. Or do you have a, a job description?
2: Well, you know, you know, I, was, I started out as a pastor, but my, my wife is like, don't say pastor. Because for a number of people, that conjures up a bunch of things that aren't you. But then, if I were to say like spiritual teacher, then that has its own set of like question marks. Like we have like a white robe in the trunk. You know what I mean? Yeah. What kind of special magic green juice have you brought us? Um, So I write books and then I put together like one man shows. So, uh, like I have a a show next week at Largo. Mm -hmm. And then I go on tour. I'll come up like last. Here I I did a, a two hour thing on quantum physics and expanding universe and spirituality and all the endless connections between science and the heart. Um, and then uh, I'll do events like, well, here at the improv, mm-hmm. like I'll do two days for people who are thinking, like for communicators. Um, and I'll do stuff for people who are like running a business, but like, wait, this is hard but there's this whole other dimension. It's not just about numbers. It's about people and soul and spirit. And how do you even think about that stuff in interesting ways? So, so
1: you're, you're an author, a speaker, (laughs) an entertainer, a, um, a (laughs) seminar giver, whatever that is, and an inspirer. And that's the main reason I wanted to talk to you is, is this podcast, as I mentioned, it's about inspiring people, Mm -hmm. inspiring artists. Um, Yeah. I've talked to mostly comedy bookers and producers and, but now I'm starting to expand and you're a spiritual person without the white robe and green juice, apparently. <laughs> I, um, But I, I got to know you a little bit through your, you've been doing these seminars here at the club. Yeah. And there are two day seminars. And I wrote this out, if you don't mind me reading it. Um, but they're for leaders, teachers, preachers, entrepreneurs, artists, pastors, anyone whose work involves creating something and then turning it loose in the world. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. What what does that look like? Turning something loose in the world?
2: Well, what, uh, I think what the modern world did is it taught people about mechanisms, techniques, formulas, seven steps to happiness, four ways to be funnier. Um, but you can follow and every industry, every, um, creative space has like conventional wisdom. Um, and you can follow it, And check the boxes and yet it's not actually who you are because the thing that you have in you that you need to make, um, it doesn't follow any of those rules. It's like, you have to know the rules in order to break them. And I've met more people who have this thing in them that they want to do. It's like, it's the fire that doesn't go out, um, And if they don't do it, they're going to spontaneously combust like the drummer and spinal tap. And yet what they do is they keep looking around for somebody to like validate them. Sure. They keep looking around for somebody. Um, like why isn't anybody else seeing this? Because it's your path. If everybody else saw it, then they do it and it would be called normal. And that there is actually innovation has an underbelly of loneliness. Um, and and this is across whether you're a, a comedian, an entrepreneur, a mom. Um, for a mom on the playground, there's always a center of gravity of consciousness. This is what you do here. And if you don't do it for your kid, you're depriving them. Um, and generally, to step more and more into your true self and what you're here to do, you will probably be violating some code, whether it's the moms on the playground or it's the other writers or it's, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You'll probably ha- be breaking some. And it's generally unspoken, like, well, this is how it works in this industry, in this field, in this space. Um, and my experience is when I have, over the years, interacted with people who seem to be thriving, is there are these defining moments when you realize, oh, the, th- the thing I'm supposed to make just looks different. And you just have to make it. Um, it and- seems
1: like you're <laughs> facing the point. I mean, you don't <laughs> come to all this... Without experience, this yeah. yeah. What is your path well, you know, in that in, exact direction?
2: Well, what happened to me is I was in a band in college. Um, so think like Violent Femmes, early Talking Heads, oil, Primus, kind of. Wow. Back when alternative was what this was the like late '80s, early '90s. Alternative meant not Bon Jovi, right? <laughs> you know what I mean, that was like the category. It was like college rock. Yeah, college yeah. exactly. Alternative, college radio, and uh, the band broke up like college bands do. And I somehow, my parents had taken us to church growing up. And I had always thought, man, when you talk about grace or compassion or nonviolence or how to worry less or how to have more courage or our responsibility to the poor, this is the juice. This is the big stuff. This is like the most interesting things. People are, how big is the universe? How do you find your place in it? But how come this gathering, which is supposed to be about these things. How come it's so boring? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It raises the existential question, what's for lunch? Um, And so something within me, and I had seen people do some sermons, but something within me was like, I'm going to reclaim the sermon. Not as a propaganda piece, not as a way to make sure everybody knows that we're in, everybody else is out. We're the good people, they're the bad people, we're found, they're lost but the sermon as, what does it mean to be human? Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere between guerrilla theater, performance art, a TED talk, a revival and a recovery meeting. Um, like you think about Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream. Yeah. Nobody heard, that was a sermon. Nobody heard that and they were like, I don't know, he was like funnier last week. Right, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was like an event and it was like shocking and confronting and subversive and revolutionary, but it was also hopeful and healing and gave people a vision of a different kind of world. And I had this sort of awakening. This is like an ancient art form, not for any one religion. This is to help everybody become more human. Um, And I want to reclaim it. Yeah. So that's how, and um, like I I went and went to seminary and got a master's in theology and all that. But at every step there were people like, "Uh, no, you can't talk about these things like that cause I was blowing things up on stage and I'd have people planted in the audience and it was calendar handed, style. Um, I didn't hand out the splash shield, <laughs> no splash zone. <laughs> but I just had this sense. Like if we're going to talk about generosity or we're going to talk about loss or we're going to talk about how to forgive somebody you hate, um, this should feel like a tribal fire. Like this should feel like, um questions are, are, are not just okay, but are, are necessary. Like if you don't have questions, something's wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so I sort of came into it that way. But what was interesting right away is if I went to like pastor's conference, they were not talking about these things. They were like, how do you keep the donations coming in? Which basically means just repeat the same stuff over right. and over again. Mm-hmm. How do you get people to whatever, whatever, And I was like, no, how do you create the space where there can be the kind of disruptions that are how we actually grow? Like you grow as a person because you heard something you hadn't heard. Mm -hmm. You experienced something that your previous label systems and categories couldn't handle. That's where it was interesting. So uh, there were these just endless moments for 25 years of like, no, I think this is how it should be done. And I actually don't care if other people don't do it that way. I
1: think that's part for the course, like you said, for, for everyone that's done something yes big and innovative. And it's interesting because you said, you know, the expectation of like it wasn't as funny Martin Luther King's speech as the last one. But especially being in a comedy club, right? Rather, to me, the best comedians, the ones that I love and are drawn to are the ones that are saying something and making you think in a different way. But absolutely. Sometimes at a club or most of the time, there's a very set expectation of an audience member that I'm here to laugh at jokes. So anything beyond that, and I'm sure it's the same in, you know, going to church for most people. It's like this person saying something that's, uh, like subversive or making me think that's a little bit scary.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I saw, I saw Jay Moore here the other night and he said to the audience, we're going to go some places that you don't normally go in a comedy and I'm asking you to come with me. He literally like framed it mm-hmm. so that you would be an idiot if you were like, Well, I, it was, what it was so interesting to me is he, in this really beautiful way, almost like said to the crowd, I know it's a Saturday night and you're with this lady and what you're expecting, but I want to take you some interesting new places and you got to come along with me. Mm-hmm. And like almost like spun it. So I've noticed the, peop- I've noticed the people who who do try to sort of break often. I've noticed how often they, there's like the straightforward beat people over the head. You don't get it. I do follow me. And then there's the seduction, mm-hmm. which is you might not normally expect to hear this in this place or experience this in this way. Um, but there's the wooing and seduction of, but I've seen some things. I like to take it some places you want to go. Cause who who's like, no, I don't. Totally. Do you want to hear something new? Do you want to see something new? Let me show you something. You know what I mean? Everybody else sort of leans in like, yeah, okay.
1: Well, I mean, I talk about often is, um, you know, it's it's not a new concept, the comedy club as church. And, you know, Bud Friedman who started this club, um, that was one of his mantras. And, you know- Was uh, it really? Rita Piazza, our GM, she's told this story for years and she tells it much better than myself. But when she first started here 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it was a Sunday night and there was, I think, three people in the audience. And she called Bud and said, do we close the show? And it's like, does church close on Sunday? That's my terrible bud for Oh, or, that's you know, so good. Would you close church? And I, when I'm trying to inspire young comics, I'm I very yeah. often use that analogy of like, every time you're on that stage, you have an opportunity to, to connect on a very deep level. And really the parallels, they're, they're very obvious. That's it's, it's a person that hopefully has something to say with the right. microphone right. in front of people.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you have no idea who's sitting there. You have no idea. And when you're about to go on stage, all of the judgments you have made about the event are irrelevant. Because the only interesting thing is you breaking yourself open and pulling yourself out. Mm -hmm. And, um, a room can happen to you or you can happen to the room.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And, What's, inter- what's interesting about staying on stage all alone with a microphone is this is about what's in you being given expression. And if, I mean, a great crowd is a great crowd, but, and there's all this energy and, the, and, and there can be this, like you're floating along because there's something happening. But at some level, it has to start with your own interior life. And if you're up there wondering why you do this, uh, we need we need you to know why you do this and to have sorted that out. Mm-hmm. The stage isn't where you sort that out. We need you to know why you do this and then come up and share your joy. Um, which might be dark. It might yeah. be, it might be all kinds of things, but at some level, and they talk about compelling forces and impelling forces and a compelling force is it like it draws you towards it. An impelling force is that which wells up within you. And you have to give it expression. It's like, it's like, give me words and shape and form. And, um, that's the really interesting thing is when you see somebody who's doing this for other reasons, whatever which, it is.
1: In LA. Yeah. I mean, people come here to get famous. Yeah. Which is such a
2: bad, it's a bad, bad, bad reason to do stuff. And well, part of my
1: <laughs> transition, cause you know, when I, I started doing comedy a long time ago and, I, I started to realize that I'm doing it because I want people to think I'm funny. And that's like that validation you talked about. And so, you know, I talk about this a lot, but the connection versus the validation. There's yeah. a point where if you're doing it for validation, you could still have a career. You're not going to be happy. right? But when you're doing it to connect first and foremost, you can look at every set. And instead of being like, why does this audience hate me? Why does this world hate me? How quickly it can get in that spiral. Yeah. It's just like, why didn't I not connect tonight? Sometimes it's, it was just not a, a good audience. Yeah, but, right, um, right, right. But when you're looking through that framework, um, you take it less personally, or you should. Because yes. you're like, oh, I didn't connect. Hey, how can I make this connect more? And you should connect to your own material.
2: Right. And there's this difference between success and craft. And success. It, success is built around when I get that then. So there's always a blank. When I get X, when I get whatever then Mm -hmm. so it's all it's never here it's always a couple feet up ahead in the road craft on the other hand is this sense that you're working a trade that you have a thing you're doing and there are all these subtleties and nuances to the work and now you're going to go out there and there's three people out there and so you're going to gain a new level of awareness and skill for how do you what do you do when three people show up Mm -hmm. Um, and success asks what more can I get and Kraft says, can you believe I get to do this? And I was in on tour in Australia earlier this year, showed up at the venue for sound check, and there was one of these orchestra pits that can rise and lower. And the orchestra pit was lowered as far down as it can go. So at the edge of the stage, it was just a drop, like a 20-foot drop, a gap of like 30 feet, and then the front row. And I want to be as close as possible to the people. I want to be like, I want to get right yeah. there. And I remember being, and I remember instantly having anger towards the promoter. Like, how did you not know that there was an orchestral rehearsal after my gig? But then thinking, who in the right mind would would think to ask in booking a venue, are there any rehearsals afterwards in which the entire right. pit is going to be lowered? So the stage is just, there's no railing or anything. It's just a, a drop. Um, but actually the moments when it's, when there's like, oh, that's, this is really not good. Um, are always the moments that remind you of the craft. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're going to do a show with a 20 foot abyss into the depths of the earth. Are you have stage fright. That's between raising the stakes. <laughs> if you had, uh, what is it? Fear of heights. Yeah. You'd be in trouble. Um, but in my experience, those are the moments where, you just come all the way back around. Why do I do this again? And okay. So now I have a whole five minute riff. We just added five minutes to the front. Um, where instead of that thing being this obstacle, it's asking me to make fun of it and do something with it. And, and there was like a railing for the audience, for the front row of the audience, but not for me. Mm -hmm. So it's like, they can't follow in, but if I fall in somebody, I mean, there's this, it's just waiting to be talked about. Um, but I've met more people who, want to be huge, want to be known, want their book to whatever. And those things that will come up for everybody, throw them into such a dark thing. And you have all those, all those have to be judo moved. This just means you're going to have a great story when you go home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it was so for you, how did, how did you, how did you arrive there? And how long have you felt um, enlightened? I'm sure you're still learning every single day, but, Was there a a point um, in your career when you started giving these sermons where it started to really make sense?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember one event. So what happened, so I just had the sense there's got to be some better way to talk about spirituality. There's got to be some better way to do all this. So when I was 28, my wife and I and some friends started a church. Like we just, because I was like, let's just do it from, and it grew Within a couple of years, it was like ten thousand people. It was completely surreal.
1: Let's take a step back. So you want to start a church? Yeah. Like, let's talk about the gatekeepers and that. Like, is there a gatekeeper? Like, do you have to get a? I
2: literally went. No, that's the thing about it. I went and found a guy who would let me use a building for a dollar a year.
1: It's a pretty good deal.
2: And then it was like a, yeah, it was just like hustle. Just okay. So then we should. And I was like, there can't be any advertising. You have to n- find out about it word of mouth. Um, I ha- I basically used band wisdom, mm-hmm. D- a DIY in regards to like church spirituality. Um, and so then like one thing was no offering. So there were just metal boxes in the back. If you want to give money, great. Just do that on the way out. But we're not like, just so we don't, none of that awkwardness. Yeah. Um, but it was early on. So I would have been late twenties. There's probably... And I had to do the sermon over, over and over throughout the day, but there's thousands of people in the room and I'm talking away and I hear uh, a woman make this terrified, like, oh, sound. And I hear the stacking of chairs, this distinctive sound of the chairs that we used. And I look over and some people have stood up in the, in the far corner and I realize there's some sort of medical emergency. So I was like, apparently we have some sort of, a man had had a seizure and fallen over in his chair. And, uh, so I literally did the, like any, if you're a doctor or an EMT, if you could head over to that corner, cause we have what looks like some sort of serious emergency and they cleared out a bunch of chairs and they worked on him and the room is like silent and people are sort of praying. Cause you have a sense like, wait, this sounds like really serious. And you can hear a woman like kind of quietly sobbing, like, is this must be like a wife or a mom and somebody's in trouble. And then it's like this. Thousands of people in a room. It's quiet. You can hear some people quietly praying. You can hear a woman doing these sort of sobs. And in the background, almost like like a sound design, you hear a, a siren of an ambulance. And they come and they back it up to the building and they take this person to the hospital. Um, after the service, a guy comes up to me and he says, I'm a doctor. I've been a doctor for a long time. He's probably 50 or 60s. I've been a doctor for a long time. I went over there and that man uh, was dead. Oh. He, we had no pulse. We had no breath. I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. He was gone. And when people, that sound of the people beginning to pray, we, we had been like, it's done. His body like lurched and he, his heartbeat came back <laughs> and he started breathing again. He's like, and I'm telling you, I know this stuff. And I was there the whole time. And that's what happened.
1: <laughs> Life from death.
2: So uh I don't I don't tell the oh, you know, I think you can trivialize that story quite quickly, but something for me was like, Oh, there's there there are all sorts of things going on when you stand up in a room with a microphone and try to communicate. So everything that could go wrong, just relax.
1: That it, is the ultimate I know or wrong.
2: No, it, I remember, I remember driving home thinking, oh, wow, uh, this one there, there, it's almost like you realize there's a lesson here that I'll probably get over the next year, but so many things, um, and then I started traveling and some of the things I did, people didn't appreciate. So I started getting hecklers. So there'd be people out front with signs, bullhorn people, um, there, Largo a couple weeks ago, there were hecklers out front. Um, which I think is amazing because they were standing, there was like a live nude review across the street from Largo and they were standing on the other side of the street in front of the nude thing, pointing towards Largo protesting me.
1: (laughs) They were um, getting a bang for their buck.
2: (laughs) No pun intended. So I think enough things just went wrong and fell apart that at some point you let it break you in all the right ways.
1: And it sounds so cliche, and especially when you're going through it, like, like oh, great. So this adversity is going to make me a better human? Yeah. Great. Yeah. So do you have advice for- Yeah, yeah. I would
2: say, because yeah, you're right. That You know, this thing that's just about to crush you, you're <laughs> going to be so much better. Um, I would say that it, uh, no, it may be awful for a while, but I would say that somewhere in it is an invitation that you can either shut down or open up. Or you can become bitter or you can become better. But 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 if there's loss, if there's pain, you have to start there. I think what you're rightfully pointing out is something people are like, hey, this is gonna make you way better. Yeah, after you've actually acknowledged that it was awful. Um
1: so that acknowledgement, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's do you have like advice for maybe people that are on the dark side, meaning and especially in comedy, you reach a point where, you know, you've been doing stand up for years and right. you haven't made it and Everyone around you seemingly is so. Basically, when you're you know jaded and bitter, is there a,
2: a path back? Yeah, that's a great question. First off, when you look around you to gauge, you're always. It will. It will always leave you. That will never work. It will either do. It will either inflate your ego or crush it. Because you'd be like, look, I'm so much farther ahead than so-and-so, which doesn't put you in a good place. Or, what's wrong with me? Um, And the way that the world works is there is not a direct relationship between the excellence of what you're doing and the receptivity. So, uh, I just read Moby's autobiography. He describes a David Bowie show where the crowd walked out. A David Bowie arena show where he's like, after a while, people just got bored and started leaving. And for the last few songs, David Bowie was only playing to a few people. That's crazy. And then there's a Musical.ly is this new app where you can lip sync to a song for 15 seconds. Apparently it's the number one iTunes app right now. And there's a girl named Baby Ariel. She's a high school girl in Florida who my son said she has 13 million followers and she's worth like $9 million. Jesus. Yes. Jesus help us. Um, (laughs) So I actually did this event recently where I put the, the Moby thing and then baby Ariel and you can lips, you can build a, she's going on tour. She lip syncs for popular songs in 15 second fragments and she's going on tour and has a merch (laughs) tab on her website. Um, And baby Ariel makes millions of dollars and people walk out of David Bowie shows. You live in that world. So you can't win. So there has to be some deeper stream you're swimming in. Obviously, people liking what you're doing and buying tickets puts food on the table. So acknowledging that, um, I think you have to start, you, you're you doing this for some other deep, this is somehow your who you are in the world. Um, you have to go to your interiors. And then I would say to the most jaded and cynical, you got into this something got you into this. Um, something got you into this. And what was it? And, uh, there's this phrase born again, which always is almost like a spoof phrase, but it, it actually refers to what happens when you, some call it a second naivete, when you've been beaten and it hasn't gone well and you've been booed and it And yet you rediscover why did I get, what was it that drew me to this in the first place? Um, so I know people who tossed out all the the material they were working on and just started over again. I have a friend who every time she finishes a book sells the house that she wrote that book in. Cause that book was with that era. It was those three years and now she has to move on. Um, So sometimes I think what happens, people are living in the same place, wearing the same clothes, doing the exact same routine, and you need essentially some sort of rebirth. Mm -hmm. Like, why did I get into this? Um, Why do I do this? And there have been distinct moments for me when I had to, okay, what would it, like my, and my wife is ruthless about this stuff. Okay, we got to move. We got to like reboot the system. One time we bought an old crack house and moved (laughs) into it in a neighborhood where she couldn't walk around the block because it was a little bit dangerous because we were like, we need a fresh experience of the world and we need, like we need to see, we, uh, it was almost like, a, um, this is the next path, the journey and the work that we're doing, we need to go do this. And then the work will naturally reflect what we're learning. Um,
1: where there's still people doing crack in the house
2: across the street. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember we moved in, And found out that a family in the neighborhood, their toilet had broken, their, their toilet had broken this family of four or six months ago and they'd been going in the backyard. Oh my God. So, so it was one of, we were like, we need, we need to reboot the system and we need fresh insights, fresh stories. We need to see things that we don't see in the world that we now Mm -hmm. live in. We need to see a different world. And it wasn't even so that we'll, so that I'll have more things to say in my talks. It was... Because we needed this personally, um, and I, m- I remember literally like calling the plumber, like, "Hey, could you go to this address? Tell them it's paid for." Like, we ended up doing that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so sometimes to the, to the bitter, cynical, jaded, what would a rebirth look like? Because if you it's life is going to be difficult enough. You might as well be doing something you find. You might as well enjoy it. It's going to knock you around anyway.
1: Well, another word for it, I mean, is getting out of your comfort zone. And the irony of that, most of the time your comfort zone is not very comfortable.
2: Right, 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 right.
1: Um, But if you can't afford to buy a crack house.
2: uh, Yeah, Yeah, which which is a great sentence.
1: Well, I told um, Andrew, our producer, you know, I've been basically living at this club for the last six years, Mm -hmm. for better and for worse. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been a magical place at times. And, you know, but being anywhere for that long, and just going yeah. to a different theater um last Friday night and just and just being right. in a different environment i i laughed more than i've laughed in a long time and um, yeah i don't know how much of it was just because the comedy was this or that but just to be in a different place and yes s- it, it it's and i talked to another friend um i don't know if you know Troy Conrad but he's like i just take a cold shower and i tried it <laughs> And sure enough, just, it, it wakes you up. It's, it's out of the norm. It's, it sucks when, when you're freezing your ass off, but right, literally change, you know, small things about how you're living your life.
2: There's a whole movement, a cold shower movement, which you which he probably is, knows about. Like if you start the day with a cold shower, you start the day because then throughout the day when you're like, man, that thing is tough. I started with a cold shower. I can probably do whatever this is. That's a good point. I think there's actually an arc. you you have this notion that you might be able to do this thing with your life. Then you get into it. And no matter how sexy or romantic it is, you get into it and there's just an element of grind. Mm-hmm. And and then people are nasty and friends who are enemies, and enemies who are friends. And you have all of the things that happen when you get into it because everybody at some level, all work at some level is work. That's why it's called work. And then it's like, it sort of begins to beat you down and you, cause I had a serious burnout, like the doctor basically being like, your body is kind of shutting down. Um, and I think you have these defining moments where you either go do something else or you reclaim, okay, so I'm going to figure out how to do this in a way that's sustainable, that I can do it with some level of joy. And I use that word intentionally because that let's, let's keep the bar high. Um, and yeah, for the, for everybody who's bitter, bitter and cynical, it's actually totally normal because mm-hmm. the world beats you up. And then there are these defining moments when you go, but I got into this because I love this. Sometimes you just have bad friends. Yeah. Sometimes there's like just a bad circle you're in of everybody has allowed the nastiness of the world to be the only thing they see and not, can you believe we get to do this? Mm-hmm. And most people I know who have gone the distance, when you talk to them, they have this I can't believe I get to do this. And then you ask, How, where did you get that? They always go, oh, because I had this moment when I was going to quit. But I realized if I quit, then it'll always haunt me that I just sort of walked away from this thing. What did your
1: burnout look like? I mean, your body shutting down. Um, and what do you think led to that?
2: I, it, I was touring. So touring and we were making short films and then on Sundays I would do this memorized 45 minute sermon each week of new content new. yeah wow. uh i do that now with the podcast so so it would be like and then afterwards when i when i was doing that i would do the sermon three times and then afterwards i would stand out front anybody can come down talk about whatever they wanted so you would just get i just found out i'm pregnant with this my neighbor guy his baby his wife doesn't know followed by We just found out I have cancer Mm. followed by a single mom going, I don't have enough money to feed my kids today. It was, so I would do that on a Sunday and then get on a plane and go somewhere in the world. And then, and then I'd have a book deadline. So I'd be writing a book while, so I'd have a book in my head and then I'd also have 45 minutes of memorized content for three days from now. And then it was too much. It was just too much. Hundreds of thousands of airplane miles. And uh, so I, I couldn't get, rested it was like i would have to get up for whatever the thing is i was doing and the energy to be like rally and then afterwards i'd just be like comatose yeah and uh, i hadn't just hadn't picked up any of those the world i came from you just work really hard then you fall over at some point and die it didn't like sustainability or even caring for yourself was seen as selfish Especially in spiritual world where it's like, no, you're here to serve, you're here to help, you're here to give. So if you did stuff for yourself, you would make a hundred excuses. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that and that sort of the scene, if you can call it that, that I came up through. So I just had to learn. Oh no, you take care of yourself so that you actually have something to give. Like if you're a comedian, you are you are moving energy around a room, like you your grounded, centered presence, you're taking people somewhere. And that takes the spinal fortitude. Your body is energetically doing something in the room, and this thing is coming out of flesh and blood. Um, So you rested with a full tank, like in a good place, in your head, heart, mind, spirit, is actually integral to your work. It's not a tangential luxury that some people have. it's central to the thing that you do. We need you to be laughing so we can, en- we can be invited into your laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, everybody I've met who's done it, uh, done interesting work over time. They always have routines, practices, rituals. We talk about um, that a lot on the spot. Yeah.
1: And how vital that is. Absolutely. And it's something I struggle with. Um, yeah.
2: And I think for a lot of people, what the modern world did is idolize pragmatism. So can you quantify it on a spreadsheet? What is it what it uh, Your work might be a hike because that's what you needed to clear your head and be in the right place. That's all part of it. And the, what the modern world did is, are you in the office? Are you working? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it separated things into parts. And oftentimes, for people, it helped it caused people to see themselves as disintegrated. Um, your body is just this thing over here, and then there's actually this thing over here that is your it it split it all apart um, instead of everything within you is connected with everything else. So if you're furious with that roommate, um, that is in your act. It's in your bones somewhere mm-hmm. Um And you sorting through that is part of your work.
1: That is very interesting. I think you don't think of energy or I don't, or maybe most people as this tangible thing. Um,
2: Oh, right, right, right.
1: And even thinking about even doing a 10 minute set, like what, what that takes out of you
2: or. Absolutely.
1: Like, I think, yeah, being able to quantify that in some way is an important thing.
2: I did an event in England with Willie Williams, who does all the U2 tours. lemon thing the zoo tour all he's the guy who sort of set organizes all that stuff and he was like all of my work he's like the only thing that matters is and they've done the biggest productions in the history of forevers he's like the only thing that's interesting is the exchange between the band and the audience i mean this is like a quantum now we're into quantum physics i mean he But he's like, that's the only, all of it is for that. And a 10 minute set to 60 people, there's a ferocious amount of exchange. And oftentimes there's all these things happening that the performer isn't even aware of. And then this person stops them six months later and is like, hey, that bit that you did, I loved it. I was so great. It was like, yeah, of course they were, they were, you were literally giving of yourself. Mm -hmm.
1: It's fascinating. I mean, you've been doing these seminars here and I've been sitting in and You have Pete Holmes, who is one of my favorite comedians, (laughs) come and talk to you for like an hour or a couple hours. And it's fascinating. Um, And I've learned so much from that. But one of the things um, that I truly believe that you guys kind of corroborate in in talking is that the humanity um, and the presence of being a performer, whether, and you're speaking not just to comedians or, you know, mostly speakers and um, other people, but um, about, you know, calling out, What's happening, and yeah, that important of importance of presence, yeah, and especially in comedy, sometimes and most of the time, the, the biggest laughs come from calling out the elephant in the room, or just you know, spend Pete's you know the master of like walking on stage and instantly, like <laughs> in the same way of you talking about the gap in the orchestra section, <laughs> as soon as you call that out, it puts everyone at ease.
2: Oh my word, Pete and I. Can't do a two-man show called Together at Last and we toured it last year and we were so like we Boston Arizona and we do this thing like so we had the front part was all very structured like he would do a bit i do a bit we'd pass it back and forth then we do some Q&A and all that we're in Salt Lake City getting ready to go on and he's like oh hey the front end just give me a second in the front end I'm gonna make fun of Mormons <laughs> And he went up and did, I don't know how much, I don't know how many minutes he did on how he looks, he thinks he looks Mormon. (laughs) He's like, I'm so Mormon, they let me in your temple. I'm so Mormon, they let me in the inner sanctum of your temple and they let me pet the dragon. (laughs) And the crowd went completely nuts. Um, But I was struck on that tour with his presence, um, we would sit in the green room and listen to Ramdas, and then we would go on stage. And how much was happening in the moment that he would just trust and follow. And then he sort of handed it to me, and then I would, Oh, I think that's what this is. I think this feels like this. Let's go here for a while. Here you go, Pete, take it back. Um,
1: that's the joy of the whole thing. I'm and, and trying to remember what. You guys described it as in your <laughs> seminar, but um, letting the show happen, is that kind of mm. the premise of it?
2: Yeah, I think he was talking about, yeah, I think he was talking about some of that. Oh yeah, he was talking about, I think people were asking him questions about bombing mm-hmm. and heckling uh, and what you do with that and how you invite people along and yeah.
1: Yeah, letting the show be the show it needs sure. to be. And yeah. every show is different.
2: Yeah, there's a great, uh, some people think the greatest architect ever was Louis Kahn. He wrote, uh, he gave some lectures in Brooklyn and they were turned into a book called Between Silence and Light. It's very, very profound and accessible, but he would have this thing, Kahn would say when he was starting to to work on a building, uh, what does this building want to be?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And... That is that question. That's not an architecture question. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So what does this set want to be? If you can, in the moment with a mic in a crowd, when it's not apparently what you thought it would be, stop and go, huh, apparently this wants to be something else. Okay. Um, That is for some, for many people, command is the goal. Um, For many people, especially like you think about a comedian. No, I'm going to take, these are my jokes. I'm going to deliver them. They're going to laugh hard. And for many people, that is getting, staying true to whatever I prepared and executing it flawlessly is the highest level command. Um, but I would simply argue there's a, there's a stage beyond command, which is freedom, which is a level of command that is okay. It is a structure that is fine with spontaneity. Mm-hmm. It is a command that is fine with freedom. I'm so, I am so on it. I've worked so hard to do what I do well that I actually can let this thing become something beyond what I even imagined. And I'm fine with In fact, I'm more thrilled than anybody to see where this goes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and it's so zen. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's when you get, that's when you get, one of the things I love about these two-day events here at the improv is, so I'll have 10 hours of new content ready to go. But then I might, I might do an hour and then somebody says, well, what about da-da-da-da? And suddenly we're over here and we can always come back because we always have this structure, but we can be so here. We can go, Oh, that's interesting. And then you discover, Oh wait, most of the audience wants me to go back to the 17 minutes earlier thing about pain or loss or whatever that, yeah, we can circle back there. Great. Um, that's where things get interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about preparation. I mean, you have these amazing questions that you have on your website and I don't want to be give spoilers for people that would come to your, Thing, oh, but,
2: what what those questions about what what I talk about some of these events?
1: Well, I mean, talking about again, back kind of back to routine and productivity and yeah. and focus or like themes that we talk about on this podcast. Um, yeah, it's it's so difficult as artists, and you tackle some of these things, but um, I'll just go down the list. But you know, how how do you maintain your sense of self when you're pulled in so many different directions? How do you create a rhythm of life when the demands seem endless and you know, how do you establish healthy boundaries with people? It can go on and on. Um, <laughs> um, and, but I, mean, I guess maybe the, the one to focus on is how do you develop habits and discipline so that you aren't doing everything at the last minute? And I'm asking you personally. Because right. Because that is my biggest struggle yeah. as a human.
2: Um, there's probably a window on, in a given day when you, when things fire, when things are on. When you, when you do naturally get things done. Um, so I'd pay attention to that. Some people are night people, some people are morning people, some people are. Um, and your body, mind, soul, brain probably aren't wired to go pedal to the metal 13 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Actually, CEOs in Scandinavia, if they work... What was I just... Someone was just telling me. If a CEO works more than five or six hours... The question is, what's why are you so bad at your job that you would need, isn't your job to make sure that all the things are covered? If you're endless, if you're working 60 hours a week, why are you so bad? Um, I like that. <laughs> so I would begin with, there's probably some window when you naturally have a notebook out and you're working on bits. Um, and it's actually just being true to that window every day. And then... What you do is you set yourself free. Obviously, there are deadlines coming up, but you have... So for me, there's like a window in the morning. There's a three to four hour window in the morning um, when things happen. (laughs) And so I just know um, if I'm at my desk, I just take the next whack at whatever's in the cooker. Um, And that it's not... Like the way that you write a book is a little bit for a year and a half. Um, this, this Largo thing I'm doing, I'm doing a thing on the evolution of flowers, architecture, and this Swedish chair designer and how all that relates to how your heart functions each day when you drive to work. So <laughs> um, I first stumbled across the first idea probably a year ago about that. And it's just a couple minutes a week a year out and then probably six months out it's it's probably still a couple you know what I mean like it's just a small small um shot at it each day
1: what Um, if I can get asked specifically do you use a specific software to organize these notes?
2: no um some things are pages documents in the computer some things are a gray notebook I like pen and paper um there's this company called Monken that makes this recycled paper I really like and I have a stack of it of squares and some things I'll just pull it off and write down a whole bunch of thoughts about that idea because it, it feels right to have it on paper first. And then eventually it'll probably be like a pages document. Um, and then some things I'll work with like 11 by 17 turned sideways so I can like storyboard it. So mm-hmm. like a, I'm doing a thing with Deepak Chopra in a couple of weeks and I'm going to do, I'll do an hour talk and that will, probably be sketched out almost like a storyboard. Like there's, I think there are six movements to the talk. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about quantum physics and boundaries with toxic people. And it's all, so like each movement is sort of named like that. Um, So I, and I think you, uh, for me, there's the sitting down and you, you work at it and then you go live, Mm -hmm. you go run errands, you go live and Then you see a bunch of stuff and you're like, like it spurs thoughts. And so I might, at the end of the day, I might sit back down for a minute because I'll remember I will have jotted down a bunch of stuff. Um, And then it's just paying attention to it. I think that's actually the thing. And you sitting there with your notebook, laptop, butcher paper, whatever it is, for a, a couple hours is worth like centered and rested and in a good place is worth you 10 hours at a desk frustrated trying to make something happen, mm-hmm. especially for a comedian. For a comedian, your job is to observe. We need you going to the post office. We we need you volunteering in some program where you're going to just see stuff that's bonkers because that will that's great. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So probably when, uh, and what's interesting is how many people I've I've talked to about this can identify. They're like, oh man, first thing is great. I just drink a lot at night. So I'm generally not good in the morning, even though I'm good. Okay, then, then we probably need to start thinking about maybe drinking less. It's interesting how many people can name their rhythms and then they do something that violates that. And they're like, yeah, but I just, you know, my friends like to, well, this is why some people go really far and do great stuff. Cause at some point they were like, Oh, when I drink a lot, I have no interesting ideas in the morning. So maybe, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm just picking on drinking, but or a number of people I know who are like, when I wake up and take a walk, my whole day is different. Uh, but sometimes I, it's like, okay, then let's, let's make that, let's, let's lower the bar really low. Let's try yeah. to wake up and take a walk.
1: It's insane. <laughs> I mean, it really is maybe the definition of insanity that, and I relate to that so much because yeah um and Andrew again knows because I'll go through a phase of I'm walking fifteen thousand steps and when I wake up in the morning I feel good and I'm not drinking as much. A hundred percent different human.
0: Yeah. But
1: yeah, yeah. It's 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 so human to then very right. easily fall back into like, oh shit, it's been a month and I haven't done that. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. So right. we have the answers. Right. Yeah. And it's just self discipline and which is easier said than done.
2: Yeah, and and um Yeah, and I think self-discipline. The problem with self-discipline is willpower. Willpower is brutal. I'm actually reading a book right now by a Harvard sociologist, who she is showing why most weight loss programs don't work because they're they're based on willpower, and that most weight loss programs people gain weight at the end, and most diets people gain weight because it's working against how your brain is wired in terms of evolution. so I, if it's just for me, this impulse versus this impulse and just the willpower to choose this over this, that's not good. I have to fill my life with reminders of the thing I want more. Um, so I'm trying to think of an example. I carried a Larry Bird trading card, Boston Celtics-based basketball player. When I was growing up, my grandpa and I would watch Channel six CBS. We would watch Larry Bird play on Sunday afternoons. And I was this really skinny kid with frizzy hair, pale, who couldn't jump very high in Okemos, Michigan. And I would watch Larry Bird who couldn't jump very high and who was this pale dude with frizzy hair. But when he would go out on the court, it was like he just threw himself into it. And it was just great because he's just diving everywhere. And I carried a trading card in my pocket because something got into me like because I was never the smartest, never the quickest, never the popular, never. But something within me was like, but I could throw, I could find something and throw myself into it. <laughs> yeah. So I have that trading card hanging in the closet in our house, like where I, where like my clothes are. Because somehow in the morning when I get dressed, I'm like, okay, there's like a little Larry Bird thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's totally corny. <laughs> it's totally ridiculous. And yet, I think if it's willpower, that's tough. But if it's all these reminders everywhere, your car dashboard, your kitchen, music, art, that shirt, I think you have to surround yourself because we're kinesthetic. Yeah, There's a reason why icons have been so popular for thousands of years. We're very visual tactile. I think you have to surround yourself with reminders of, who, who, of your best self your best moments. Yeah.
1: I, I, I sometimes like into the movie memento. Mm-hmm. You have to tattoo yourself. And you know, I, yeah. I try to well keep my own personal Bible that, um, and it's, it's literally, I mean, it's, it's growing every month, but it's, I try to read it every morning and it's a reminder of what I'm trying to accomplish in this world. Yeah. 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 And the, you know, and even like there's escape uh, mechanisms, like if you're having trouble writing, don't forget this. So it's like compartmentalized into like, You know, if, if you're having, if, if when you're, you know, partying too much or like, here's your, you know, uh, remedy manual to get you through it. Mm -hmm. Right. But then I forget to read it every day. But, um, (laughs) anyone that's been in my house sees these notes everywhere. Oh yeah. And little note cards and, and, uh, post-its that are just like, Jamie, do the work, do it now. And even then it doesn't work, but (laughs) I'm
2: just saying it's, it, it is important that is really well said there's also i th- i think you have to extend yourself grace and oftentimes when we fall back into patterns that are not our our best hopes for many people what instantly kicks in is this voice of condemnation and shame mm. that says this is who you are be honest everything else is a facade you're just acting this is actually your true self and what grace does is it reminds you that you're human. This is very normal. And, and and grace is this announcement that who you believe you are is actually who you are. And uh, you may stumble and you may fall, but there is a true self in there. And it just keeps talking to you. It just keeps inviting you. It just keeps embracing you. So yeah. for, uh, especially people listening to your podcast who are beating themselves up because, oh my word, it's been 17 days. It's been seven months since that like good pattern what actually transforms your heart is grace, not condemnation and shame. How
1: do you manifest grace and how do you differentiate for you between the grace voice and the shame voice? Because sometimes it's easy to identify that shame voice as, oh, that's the me.
2: Right, right, right. Uh, the shame voice has no imagination. All it can ever tell you is no you're such a loser. It doesn't it only has a few lines of dialogue. It's like the character <laughs> that just keeps storming into the play, mm-hmm. out of the stage, going, uh no. Um, but the Grace the, the Grace voice generally meets you at your lowest. And yeah, that was pretty bad. It's honest. Yeah, that was pretty bad. But there's uh there's this and yet to grace. And yet you are aware of it, which is half the battle. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know deep within you are these desires. You, you, And yet, you do know the way forward. Um, and grace generally celebrates really small victories. Like, all right, today, we did this. Good. Mm-hmm. Great. We got one line written. Okay. All right. Tomorrow, we might have two. Mm-hmm. We might have four by the end of the week. Who knows? We could get crazy. Um, in my experience, grace... Meet you exactly where you're at, and it never shows you the seventh step. It just is like, well, there's like one thing you could do right now um, and that's that's kind of how I d- differentiate is uh shame and condemnation have no imagination, they have no vision for other than no, no, no and and grace opens you up in all sorts of interesting ways.
1: Grace sounds like the spiritual yes and of-
2: yeah, yeah, yeah grace has an improv. Dimension. Mm-hmm. It's got possibilities, and uh, that's. I mean, these. This is why I obviously why you're doing this podcast. These are the interior life things that are actually the thing behind the thing.
1: Sounds like grace too creates a life of meaning and creates a life like I. I, I imagine you never expected that your resume would look <laughs> the way it does. Going to your website. Um, and seen, you've created a life of just projects, as opposed to um, a linear. Exact oh, right. path. and that's right.
2: The idea of a career makes me laugh. Yeah, somebody the other day was talking about their career, and I, th- I was like, "Do I have a career? I don't. Even, that is like a. Fun, I don't even know what that means.
1: <laughs> that's a, another very Western approach to
2: right, right, right. A defined life. That's, I think you make the next thing. I think that's what you do. I Think mm-hmm. you make the next thing, and some things go well, and some things don't. I have a couple books in my computer that have never been released. One of them I think is kind of rubbish It never like got out. That's just part of it. You just keep throwing things against the wall and every once in a while something might stick Mm -hmm. and you celebrate it. Then you just go make more things. What is your filter now? I mean, it seems (laughs) as you reach a certain point
1: in your career, um, (laughs) but there's more eyes on you. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know, is there more pressure because there's now that you have this next book, there's expectations. I, I guess another way of putting it is like, how do you manage the the, the critics? And um, do you care? At it doesn't even
2: cross my mind. It really doesn't cross my mind. What's the next thing?
1: I either have to say this or I don't.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm just finishing up this tour with this book because it felt like, yeah, I should go all over the place and talk about this book. Actually, the book came out in April. It's called How to Be Here. And generally what happens is a book comes out, you do like a week of interviews, and then you're on to the next thing, maybe a couple tours, stops, book signings or something. I was like, I would love. And so you don't ever get extended interaction about the ideas in the books. So I was like, what if there's got to be some better way to do this? So, we've, so I found art galleries and, and clubs and dance halls around the world, and we did all Saturday events in the round. We brought in chairs in the round with me in the middle so I could walk through the whole audience and did like this seven hour interactive. I would like talk a bunch about the ideas and people start asking questions and talk about some more of the ideas. Um, And that's all just what would be interesting. I think calling is overrated and curiosity is underrated. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. What are you curious about? Mm. So it was like, what would it be like to do these Saturday all day things all around the world? And that I'll wrap that up in LA at the end of November. And then I, and then I'll, then the schedule is pretty much empty. Another book will come out next year and I'll do, but um, yeah, you just cook it all up
1: for the next thing. Where can people see this at the end of November?
2: Oh, the end of November I'm doing Wanderlust, that yoga studio. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm going to do do it in the, it's like a big living room for a day. And it's so fantastic because it's blatantly spiritual, but not co-opted. So people from all kinds of different backgrounds and I come out of the Jesus tradition, but no, everybody's, it's fine because you're you and you're you and you're you. It's like this. A lot of people are like, I've never been in a space that was like blatantly spiritual, but without like a hard sell or a, it's already been co opted by mm-hmm. something. Um, yeah, that'll be a wanderlust at the end of November. Yeah. So for me, there's like an element of curiosity. So that's part of the filter. And my wife is fantastic because Kristen will just be like, oh, come on. You don't, you'd be bored out of your mind two days into that thing. I'm like, yeah, you're right. So we just sort of listen together. For the next what's the next thing? What's I the love next that
1: thing? Curiosity. Yeah. And I've always been, I mean, a lot of people don't know, but I was a religious studies major in college. And oh were you really? Um studied mostly Eastern traditions. And I've always been a seeker and, mm-hmm. and someone that's, you know, been curious. Yeah. And trying to find a voice in the worlds of because, you know, like you said, when when you tell someone you're um, a pastor. It brings up <laughs> so many connotations. Right. And the word spirituality does, and so does everything does at this point. And yeah. personal development and self-help. But curiosity seems like a nice catch-all. Like it's yeah. not as alienating.
2: Right, right, right. There's no one's like, I'm not, enough of this curiosity. <laughs> yeah. We got to go in a different direction. Right.
1: It's very enchanting.
2: Yes. Yeah, I totally agree.
1: There's something called the cabinet of curiosities, which is, I think, is a German thing. I think it was literally a cabinet full of interesting and weird things in the sixteenth or seventeenth century. Look it up on Wikipedia or the internet. Um so and and wrapping up and talking about gatekeepers and you know, there's mm-hmm. there's these powerful people in Hollywood, and no matter what industry you're in, there's there's people that say yes and say no. But as we've talked about a little bit, you know, we can only be our own personal gatekeeper. Yeah. Um do you have any parting advice to yeah, impart?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, ha- I have a couple thoughts and then we should do a benediction. We should do an old school benediction. It was interesting. I was doing this event and a woman in the front row said, said I'm an actress. I've been in Hollywood for a while and I'm like at that. It's not happening. I just kind of want to get, when do you just give up and go home? Which I think was probably Indiana or something. And I was like, why are you doing this? She's like, because I want to tell stories that matter. I was like, oh, you want to tell stories that matter. That's the essence. The form that you have attached to is young Hollywood actress. So these doors shutting to young Hollywood actress are doors shutting to form, not essence. Essence is you want to tell stories that matter. And I had the joy of telling her, you know, there's lots of ways you can tell stories that matter. Um, not in a patronizing way, just in a like a funny over-the-top way. And it was beautiful to watch her... Um realize that there was this good news sitting right in front of her. And that so often we have this thing we want to do in the world. And then we're in some system where there are gatekeepers who say yes or no. And so we allow those people to determine whether or not we can be who we are instead of subverting the system. Like, well, maybe this system isn't where I'm to be, but that doesn't in any way give a no to the thing that I think I'm here to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually a bunch of people are already, the reason why they're saying no is that thousands of people are trying to get through that gate. Um, But what if we just went over here? There might be a whole new space. In the business, they talk about blue ocean where you're no longer competing. You're actually creating a whole new space where there is no competition. Um, And that's what's really interesting to me is when people realize I have been banging against the same door when there's like a whole field across the street. Um, In the ancient tradition, they... Talk uh, There's a benediction from the Latin benedictus, a good word. And uh, so you would gather and talk about things that matter most like we've done. And then somebody would place a benediction on you. And they they literally believe the words would like hover over you as you went on your way. Um, so so and with our conversation, the benediction might be, may you not let anyone else control your joy. May you realize that you have that power. May you, when you find yourself knocking on the same door, becoming bitter and cynical, turn around because maybe there's a field across the street. May you come to embrace the impelling force of that which is true about you that spills out over into the world. May, May you and that happen to the room instead of the room Happening to you. And may you come to know grace, the kind of grace that doesn't show up with the same shame and condemnation, beating you up for what you didn't do, but keeps insisting that you're loved exactly as you are. And there's all sorts of new possibilities. And the steps that you need to take, you actually can take Um, because you're here and that's a good thing. And we need you. Should I pour water
1: on myself now? (laughs) Um, That's amazing. And I think a, a better host than I would wrap up the interview at this point. But I have one more question <laughs> that's going to undermine all the powerful things you've just said. But you, you wrote a book based, I think, on a song you wrote called Velvet Elvis? Uh, yeah, that was my first book. And Velvet Elvis, um, mm-hmm. are you aware that it's also a Weird Al Yankovic song that came out on his even worse CD in, by 1988? No. It's worth looking into. I'm a big Weird Al fan. But Velvet Elvis, when I when I saw that you had a song and a book named after this, it made me think that you should know this.
2: That's really interesting because we would have been, my friends and I, that song was written in 80, in 90. We would have known that Weird Al had a song. That's weird. It's a great
1: song. It's kind of a, his, It's he does some songs that are just a straight parody, but then he has like songs that are in, in the vibe. Oh, got it. There's one called Doggy Dog, which is a talking heads kind of vibe. This one's a police. And you may say to yourself, Oh really? So Velvet Elvis, um, can, can you find any of your old music online?
2: I have heard that, that yes, my son found it recently and he said there's all sorts of commentary and that people have done doctoral work on it, which I find a little unnerving, but yes, apparently it's all out there. Amazing.
1: (laughs) Well, where can people find all your stuff online?
2: Yeah. com has the, the, there's a weekly podcast, Robcast, which is new sort of talks. And, and then, uh, yeah. And there's all information on books there. There's a new film just came out called everything is spiritual and links to that. And then all the tour stuff, Largo stuff, the, the, actually the, how to be here experience at, at Wanderlust is on there as well.
1: Amazing. Well, thank you, Rob. This has been really awesome. This is so great. I loved it. This is so much fun. And as I end every show, a reminder to work on your craft endlessly, be a professional, be undeniable, and be cool as fuck always. This has been Gatekeeper. For more episodes of Gatekeeper, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.